Happy Groundhog Day. It's always the same. Also with you, that's all you ever need to know. It doesn't matter what I say. Happy Groundhog's Day. Say, I don't think it's really a big deal to everybody, but Groundhog Day is a big weekend for me. I know it was yesterday, I know it's Super Bowl Day and all that stuff, but it's a big deal. But before I get to Groundhog Day and, and all of that, uh, I know you're anxiously, you've got your uh, bookie on speed dial right now waiting for my prediction for the Super Bowl from Scripture. So, um, you know, I, I found some interesting stuff. I mean, I really did. It, you know, there's... there's there's not anything about the 49ers, obviously, so uh, you know we don't have a whole lot of help there, but just some stuff like Isaiah 19.2, brother will go up against brother. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's interesting. That's not going to help you, but... So, so I started thinking, okay, well, how about quarterbacks? You know, Colin, that, there's no Colin in the Bible, but there's Joseph. Oh, is there a lot of Joseph? Joseph, Genesis 39, was well-built and handsome. Joseph 39:23. the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything that he did. That might help you. Um, but then you get to Genesis 37, 33, Joseph has surely been torn into pieces. And Genesis 43, 30, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. So uh, we don't know what's going to happen today until we get to the New Testament. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 24, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Consider the ravens. I don't know what that means, but consider them. The groundhog did not see his shadow. That means winter is over. How's that working out for you? Really great. Yeah, I hear groundhog tastes like chicken. That's all I'm saying. Um... But I mentioned Groundhog Day because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Am I right? Can I get a shout-out from my Bill Murray fans? What a great movie. Filmed up in Woodstock, Illinois. I don't know if you know that. It was filmed in, in Woodstock. It wasn't in Poxitani. Uh, it was right here in our little, uh, you know, Chicago area. And, and it's this movie, in case you just burrowed out of a hole yourself, it's a movie about a weatherman who is, uh, you know, this real self-absorbed guy played by Bill Murray, and he has to go to Poxitani to film the, the, the groundhog on Groundhog Day, and he's not happy about it. He's got attitude. Well, then he goes to sleep, and he wakes up the next morning, and it's his chance to do the same day over again. It's 6 o'clock, the alarm goes off, Sonny and Cher sing, I got you, babe. It's the same thing over and over, and it starts to drive him crazy. And eventually he, he decides, I can't take it anymore, and he tries to kill himself, which he does in numerous different ways, but it doesn't matter because he's still going to wake up at 6 o'clock the next day over and over again. So finally he learns to embrace it. He, he, he learns to, you know what, maybe if I'm going to have the same day over and over again, maybe I should just embrace it. Maybe I could use it as a gift. Maybe I could help change other people's lives. Maybe I could help change my lives. Maybe I could learn some new things. If you could do the same thing over and over again, if you could have a day and do it over again, I mean, really, we all have 24 hours in a day. We could all do a lot more with our life if we really wanted to. And the point of the movie is that you could do some good things with your life if you really wanted to by using every day to the fullest. Maybe you wouldn't know exactly when the kid was going to fall out of the tree. Maybe you wouldn't want to learn to ice sculpt, but well, what could you do with your life if you really wanted to? Because here's what happens, and we're going to find this in the story today. What happens is a lot of times we get to a point in our life where we look back and we wonder, how did I get from here? How did I get from there to here? You know, how did I end up here? If, if, I, if I would have done things differently, if things would have turned out differently, maybe I would end up in a different place than I am right now. Actually happened to me 
this last week. It happens through music a lot, doesn't it? You know, a song comes on and you automatically get transported back in time to another time in your life. And you're like, wow, you know, and all this emotion comes up. It was 34 years I went back in time this week, okay? It's a long time. Um, and I'll admit it was earth, wind, and fire, okay? I can, I can just admit it was the classic I got dumped by my girlfriend's song of all time. Anyone? After the love is gone, came out right after my girlfriend dumped me. I was going to sing it for you. My falsetto's not doing real good today. Let me just play a little bit, see if this rips your heart out like it did mine. Oh, come on. Don't you feel it? If that doesn't rip your heart out, you have not gone through puberty by 1979. That's all I can tell you. Oh, man, I just transported back in time. And, 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 you know, honestly, when you look back, you can look back at some things and it's like, oh, that that was a bad thing that happened. And then you can look back like I do on that song. And even though it ripped my heart out at the time, it's a good thing because my wife's going to watch this on the Internet later, make sure I say this. It was a good thing that 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 girl dumped me in high school because, you know, everything turned out well. But when we look back on our life, a lot of times we look back and we're like, man, if if things would have gone a different way, look at where I would be now. And we don't get a Groundhog Day experience to go back and to start all over again. We just get to this place where we're wondering how did it happen and what we should do with that Groundhog Day moment, what we should do with that realization is to realize that from here we, we have the opportunity, however many more days God gives us, to do some changes in our life going forward. And the truth is when you look back on your life and you look at where you're at now, if things are radically different than what you thought they were going to be, it was probably not a singular event. It was probably not like your girlfriend dumped you. It was probably like a slow fade. Rick Warren and Saddleback Church uh, went on a diet altogether. I don't know if you heard about this. They lost 250,000 pounds together because Rick Warren got up one day and just finally said, you know what, I'm overweight. And he got up in front of his church and he said, listen, I've only gained a couple of pounds a year as your pastor here, but I've been your pastor here for 35 years, you know, so uh, I need to lose some weight. And they all did it together. That's how it works. It's a slow fade. And what we see in the story as we've been going through this, which is just a kind of an overview of the Bible, if you're new, we're going through this thing. We're in chapter 19 today. It, it's all the Bible in here, but it's just put together in the story form in chronological order. And in chronological order, what we're finding out is that the nation of Israel just keeps going back. They keep having Groundhog Day over and over again. They keep getting up, worshiping idols, going, you know, getting called back to God by a prophet, going back to idols, going back and forth. And, and what happens is the more you do that, the farther you get away from God, the farther you get, the closer you get to the edge of the cliff. And the closer you get to the edge of the cliff, the more danger you're in. That's the way that it works. And and, and so what what happened is this slow fade has happened in Israel to the point where they've started worshiping idols yet again. And I know we've talked about idol worship, and for a lot of us it's like, well, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But what we talked about was that whenever you take God off the throne in even a small way and put something else there, it could become idol worship. Let's just uh, see what these guys say. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies, 
they wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying don't watch the Super Bowl. I'm not saying being a sports fan. I'm just saying maybe we ought to look a little differently at how idol worship might play into our life. So God sends prophets over and over again. And we've been talking about how the nation of Israel was divided. They're divided right here in Israel and Judah. And they're both worshiping idols. And finally we get to the point where God says, you know what, I've had enough. And I'm going to send Israel into Assyria. I'm going to let them conquer Israel. And I'm going to let Babylon conquer Judah. And basically all the Jews are basically in Iraq. That's where they are. That's, that's northern and southern Iraq. They all get carted away to another culture, okay? That's what happens. And their cities are destroyed, and their homes are destroyed, and most importantly, the temple is destroyed. The temple is the most important part of worship for them. It, they had to have the temple. So now they're in exile. They can't worship anymore. They're in a place they don't belong, and that's always hard on a person. But God needs them to understand where home is. He really wants them to understand where home is. And sometimes you don't understand where home is until you're gone. Am I right? I mean, all three of my girls, as they went off to college, they came home with a... Not that they didn't appreciate us before, but they come home with a different attitude because you appreciate what home is. And God says, you don't appreciate your home, so I'm going to make sure that you get taken away for a while. And then it doesn't take very long when they're away in exile. They say, you know what? We're ready to come home. We want to come home. But now they can't because they're in exile. Like the family who had all the kids in the neighborhood over one night, and it got kind of late, and Dad was kind of shocked at how late it was, and he's kind of like, okay, this party's over, you kids need to get on home, my kids, you need to get to bed, you know, and all the kids scampered out, and, uh, you know, the kids upstairs started getting ready for bed. Pretty soon he saw a little shadowy figure start to run around the side of the stairs, he said, hey, I said get to bed, I'm coming up there in just a minute, you better get to bed right now. And the shadowy figure ran away. About 10 minutes later, the little guy started coming around the corner again. He said, I told you, I'm coming up there. Don't make me come up there. I want your lights out right now. And the shadowy figure ran away. Pretty soon there was a knock on the door. Neighbor showed up. He said, hey, is Jimmy here? Dad said, no, no, he's not here. He went home. Jimmy from the top of the stairs said, Dad, I'm here. He won't let me leave. That's, that's how they felt. Dad, I'm here, please. You know, I want to go home now. I'm sorry. I want to go home. That's how it was for the people of Jerusalem. They wanted to go back to Jerusalem. They're 900 miles away in Babylon. They wake up, they hear earth, wind, and fire, and they go, how in the world did we end up in Babylon? This doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you how, how it happened. It happened slowly. 
It didn't happen overnight. They didn't wake up. You know, that's how it works with our blowouts, isn't it? Nobody wakes up one morning and says, hey, I'm thinking I'm going to have an affair and ruin my life. It happens slowly. It happens with a private Facebook message to your old girlfriend or your old boyfriend. It happens with a little flirting at work. It happens with going to the wrong places with the wrong people. And slow fade happens, and all of a sudden you wake up, and man, everything is a mess. Nobody decides to wake up one day, like a guy I know, and embezzle hundreds of thousands of dollars from your company doesn't happen overnight. You don't wake up and do that overnight. You just round up some figures. You steal a few things here, a few things there. You borrow some money and say you're going to pay it back, and then you don't. And all of a sudden, you wake up, and you're in Babylon, and you're facing prison, and your kids aren't going to have their dad around. That's, that's how it works. But the good thing is, folks, it doesn't matter whether you've entered, where you woke up in Babylon today or whether you woke up in Assyria today or whether you're still in Jerusalem today, God is always calling you home. And God will take extraordinary measures to bring you home no matter where you're at. Listen to this. Beginning of the book of Ezra. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. Okay? This, is, this is the other guy. This is a foreign king. This is not a Jewish king. Cyrus, king of Persia. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And may their God... See, I mean, Cyrus is not really just a, a, a believer in God. He believes in all kinds of gods, but he's taking care of this other God. He says, may their God be with them. In any locality where the surviving Jews may be now living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold and goods and livestock and free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. In, in other words, I want the Jews to go back and build this temple to God that they used to have, and I want you people to pay for it. I mean, you talk about an amazing turn of events. That's pretty crazy. God's people have forgotten to worship him, so God decides to use a crazy foreign king to do his will. Can I just say, God can do whatever he wants to do. I mean, last week, if you were here, if you read in the story, Daniel, right? God uses Nebuchadnezzar, a foreign king. Now, Nebuchadnezzar didn't get the handwriting on the wall, so he had, God had to make him become a cow and eat grass before he finally figured out he needed to listen to God. But God used Nebuchadnezzar. This week, God uses Cyrus. Next week, I'm going to be preaching about Esther. It's one of the beautiful stories in the Old Testament. And it's about King Xerxes, who is also a foreign king. Three weeks in a row, we have a foreign king that God is going to use for his good because he's God. Next week, Xerxes, you know who Xerxes is? Xerxes is the psycho king who sent his soldiers to fight against the Spartans. If you saw the 300 movie, that's the guy we're talking about next week. Crazy Xerxes. And God uses him. Same bad channel. Be back next week. But listen, here's what you need to understand. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in the political system. I just want to say this very simple thing. This may be the most important thing of the day. God's going to do whatever he wants because he's God. Okay? I mean, at some point, you've got to understand the sovereignty of God. And God, if, if God's people aren't going to worship him, God will make other people do it. He'll make them be cows and eat grass if he has to. It doesn't matter because he's God and he's going to make sure that his will gets done. So this week we got King Cyrus. I, I just think it's easier to call him Billy Ray. Billy Ray is told by God to let the Jews go back and rebuild the temple. And here's why I say this. Listen to what it says. The Lord moved the heart. 
the achy, breaky heart <laughs> of Cyrus, king of Persia. The Lord moved his heart. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was a dream. I don't know if he wrote on the wall. I don't know what it was. And listen, please understand, I believe in world missions. I, I really believe in that. My, fam, my wife and I are going with the Africa team in a couple of weeks. We'll be in Africa for a couple of weeks working with this team of people, a hundred people from Parkview that are going over to Kenya to work with the 10,000 kids, and, and we're going to be teaching pastors and doing all kinds of stuff, and I'm so excited. As a matter of fact, they just sent me a picture. This is the first picture we've gotten back from Turkana. Those are your kids, and that is your school, Parkview, right there. That's what we did. I wish they would have had them turn around so you could actually recognize, oh, that's my little kid, but that's the back of their head right now. A bunch of you sponsor them. We did that. That's important, okay, because we're supposed to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. But ultimately, people, God is God, and he can work even without a prophet or without a missionary if he needs to. I wish I could tell you, I mean, the stories coming from Islamic cultures, especially right now, there's a movement a supernatural movement of God going on in Islamic cultures that is... I mean, I'm hearing stories about, about, about people who are having visions of Jesus in the middle of the night telling them, you know, go to this house at this time on this night and, and you'll find some other believers there. And, and, and they go and they show up and these people are meeting in a house church that nobody else knew about. And they're like, how did you, how did you find us? And, and I said, well, Jesus told me in a dream. I mean, sometimes God can just do whatever he wants to do because he is supernatural and because he is God. He's always in control. So God moves King Cyrus's achy, breaky heart and says, I want you to get, let these people go back and build the temple. All right. Why is that so important? Why is the temple? I keep talking about the temple. Why is that important? Because home is where the temple is. That's why. You can't be truly home until God is there. Unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain to try to take care of it. This is how it's supposed to work all the time. Home is where the temple is. You've got to build on the rock. And because Jesus hasn't come yet, we've got a problem. The temple has to be in Jerusalem at one spot because that's the only place they could offer sacrifices. That's the only place where the priest could talk to God. That's where the Holy of Holies was supposed to be. And for all these years, they've been in exile in Babylon and Assyria, and they haven't been able to have a temple. And for the Jews, the temple was a visible reminder that God wanted to be with his people. He always wanted to be with his people. And the temple, that's why the temple was in the middle of the city, okay? Uh, you're having a meeting downstairs of people going to the Holy Land with me. When you go to the Holy Land, you'll get to see this model of Jerusalem, this model of, of, of what Jerusalem looked like back in Solomon's day. Because it doesn't look like that today, because that, that's the Dome of the Rock now, because the Muslims have control of that spot. But if you look at this, you can see the temple was there, and there's how, see how the city is all around it? In the Old Testament, when they were traveling around in the desert, they had a tabernacle, and it was a tent, and it had God's presence in it, in the ark, in the Holy of Holies, and the people would camp around it. They wanted to, God wanted to be in the middle of his people. This is really important. Like the courthouse in the old square in the old days, God always wanted to be in the middle of his people. He wanted to be the center of their life. And even though we don't have temples today, that is still true. He wants to be in the middle. So they need a temple. God says, all right, it's time for you to go. Cyrus sends them back, 538 B.C., 50,000 Jews, prompted by Cyrus, go back and start to build the temple. And at first they are so zealous for the project. They are so excited by what they are doing because home is where the temple is. Don't forget that. They know that, and they've got to go back and get the temple done, and it's so important to them at first. And it says the people gathered together 
and they assembled as one in Jerusalem. It says they assembled as one. There was unity involved, right? They were excited, and they began to build the altar of God, uh, of the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, to pay for their sins. That's what they had to do in accordance with what God had written in the law of Moses. Despite the fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation, and they sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. They started to build the temple, they built the altar, they built the foundation, they started to do their sacrifices. When I look back at the great times in Parkview's history, uh, we just did this recently with a, a strategic thing that we did. When I look back at the great times in our history, it usually revolved around times when we rallied together to do something, like we're doing right now, and we're rallying together to start a fifth service. I mean, the first time we started a, a second service on Sunday, and then a third service on Sunday, and, and, and then, a, and then a, a service on Saturday night, and another service on Saturday night, and when we build something, when we did the ministry to the new millennium in 1997, because we wanted to have a piece of property that you guys could all come and, and, and worship Jesus on, and we did Time to Grow, and we did a great investment, and then we did Cannibal, and a bunch of you were in on that, and, and when we've done those things, that's been the time when it it's been the most exciting for us because we were rallied together. And I got to tell you, let me put the plan up there. We're getting ready to start on the next phase as soon as the as soon as the you know weather breaks, which I don't know. You know, it was 62 this week. I don't know. Whenever the weather gets to the point where we can do it, we will start on that green part, which is the new foyer and the new chapel that are going to go in over there. We're very excited about that. We had four funerals this week alone, people. We need a place. We need a chapel. We need a place where we can have funerals, where we can do weddings, um, and we hope to have that done by next Christmas, so we're going to get started on that. I'm really excited. Don't die until, you know, after 2013. It's all going to be good, okay? We'll be ready for you. And, and we'll rally around, and it'll be fun, because that's how it is when you're building stuff. Look at what Ezra said. He said, and all the people gave a great shout to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was built. Woohoo! Everybody was excited. We got the foundation in. Then what happened? They lost their focus. I don't know. I mean, this is what Haggai is going to tell us in a minute. They gave less attention to the house of God and more attention to their own personal projects. I mean, they moved back and they built the, the foundation for the temple, and then they went home and they're like, oh, we've got to build our home. Our home has been destroyed. We've got to work on this. I don't know, maybe they got tired, maybe they got done with the enemies, you know, that were always in their business, but and God never said it was going to be easy, but they just started giving up and, and thinking about themselves more, and they got distracted. Has that happened to you? Yeah, it's happened to you. How many of you kept your New Year's resolutions into February? All right, one person down there. Thank you, ma'am. Right? I mean, okay, too. Whatever. I mean, you know, that's why I don't even make them because, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to say, well, I'm going to get into shape. And then you're going to stay up late watching a football game and you're not going to get up as early the next day. And then the next day, it's a little bit easier and a little bit easier. Or you read a scripture and you're like, you know what? I'm going to have more integrity in my business this year. But then, you know, the, the, the reports are coming out and you've got to balance things and, you know, you might have to fudge a little here and cheat a little here. College students, you, were, you, went, to, you went to college this semester and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to park this year. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm really not. And you go back and everybody goes, hey, welcome back. We're having a party. And you're like, well, I want to see everybody. But, you know, and then, I mean, Jesus went to parties. Maybe I can tell them about Jesus. And there you go. Right. <laughs> don't don't use that as a rationalization. I'm just saying I'm the king. I'm a professional. OK, I could do this all day. I could make excuses for anything. And here's the problem when you make excuses. When you stop doing the most important thing, C.S. Lewis summed it up brilliantly. If you put the first things first, 
you will get the second things thrown in. But if you put the second things first, you're going to lose both the first and the second things. That's his way of reiterating, seek first the kingdom of God and everything gets added to you. But it, it's, it's true, isn't it? If you've got your priorities straight, it doesn't matter if, it, if these are things of God or, or whatever. If you put the first things first, you put the primary goal, what's your business and how's business? If you do it that way, then everything else is going to come into play. And if you don't do that, nothing's going to come into play. I don't know what happened to these people. I'm guessing they probably said, you know what, my, my house needs a little work over here. Just give me a week. Just give me a month. Just give me a year. I'll come back next year and help. Oh, my crops are coming in. I've got to plant my crops or whatever. You know, just give me a little bit of time here and I'll be back. And pretty soon, one after another walked away. And all of a sudden, there were no more sacrifices. And God's kingdom became insignificant in their lives because God's home became a lower priority than their home. And a week passed and a month passed. And we pick up, believe it or not, 16 years later with a new prophet named Haggai 16 years the weeds are growing up over the foundations of God the people don't sacrifice anymore they're not using they don't have a temple to sacrifice there's no priest been reinstalled nothing is going on 16 years that's enough time for every visitor who walked by Jerusalem to say, well, there's the foundation for their temple, but they haven't done anything with it since the last time I was here. I guess they don't really care too much about their God. Sixteen years is long enough for all of their children to grow up and say, well, I see my parents started the temple, but they didn't finish the temple, so God must not be very important. They didn't mean to wear their Crocs this long. They just did. <laughs> and those are their tan lines. It's, it's not just an Old Testament problem either, folks. We get to the New Testament, we get all the way to the end, right? All the way to the end in Revelation, and Jesus says about the church of, of Ephesus, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. That's what they did. They were excited at first, but they've forsaken it. He says, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. You need to turn around and go back to God and get back to the temple and get back to what's important. I'm working really hard right now on a, on a campaign for other churches to be able to do. It's called Remission Your Church. That's what I'm doing. Recapturing the heart of Jesus for the, uh, for the lost. That's what I'm working on because I'm, a, I'm, I'm in charge of this convention in 2014 where all these churches are coming together. And, and the truth of the matter is, I know that most of the churches that are going to be represented there need to get back to the thing that God called them to in the first place. Because most of the churches in the U.S. need to. Half of the churches in the United States of America did not reach one single conversion last year. Not one single person found Jesus at half of the churches that exist in the U.S. Only 2% of the churches in the United States are growing by conversion growth, meaning new people are coming in that didn't have Jesus before. I mean, others are growing because some other church is dying and they're transferring in. Only 2% are growing by conversion growth. What does that mean? That means 98% of the churches have lost their first love. Jesus says, repent. You've forsaken it. You've got to get back to it. So God does the same thing with, with these people. You know, you're back in Jerusalem now, but you've forsaken your first love. And he, he doesn't give them a Groundhog Day experience. He just sends Haggai. And Haggai comes along, and, and, in, and this is the indictment of the prophet again. 
and please remember, these are the words of God through the prophet Haggai. It is time, is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses? This is obviously back in the 60s when that was in. Is it time for you to be living in your paneled houses while, the ha- while this house, the temple, remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You planted much but harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. (laughs) Ouch. I mean, God's not just saying, I'm displeased with what you're doing. God's saying, it ought to be obvious that I'm displeased with what you're doing because my blessing has been removed. Have you been noticing that your harvest isn't going very well, that money's falling out of your pockets? Have you noticed that I've removed my blessing from you because you're not doing what I want you to do? Because when you put first things first, there are second things come in. But if you do second things first, you lose it all because God's not going to be in the middle of it. Listen to me i got to say this. This is why God's Word tells us over and over again to bring the tithe into the storehouse. To bring our 10% into the storehouse where you get fed and and let Him bless you with that because 90% plus God, the God who could wipe out an Assyrian army of 185,000 men with one angel, we found a couple of weeks ago, it's better to have 90% of your money and God than to have 100% of your money and no God. I mean, it says that over and over again in the Bible, and and I'm just going to tell you that's a dumb way to say it because it's all God's anyway. It's just a test. And when we fail the test, sometimes God blows it away. God says, give careful thought to your ways. When we treat the mission of God like an option, he says it pretty clear here. I'm not going to bless what you're doing. These people had droughts. They had difficulties. They had downturns. Now, now I know people that had that, and I've had those in my life, even when I was being faithful to the temple. Sometimes Jesus said, in this world you have trouble. I'm not saying it always goes together like that. I'm just saying it might be a good day to give careful thought. They planted, but they didn't harvest. Why? Because God is in charge of the harvest. They had money, but it fell out of the holes in their pocket. Why? Because God is in charge of the money. He's in charge of security. Because they put second things first, they ended up with nothing. I know a lot of you are new. As a matter of fact, if you've been here six months or less, go ahead and put your hand up. I just want to see your hand. That's really awesome. I'm glad. You guys can just like put your fingers in your ears for a minute if you want or do the achy, breaky heart dance in your head for a second because now that song's in your head. And I understand. Or Earth, Wind, and Fire. Whatever you want to do. I just need to talk to the family for a minute, okay? Family, I've got to ask you a question. You should have your 2012 year-end giving statements by now. I've got to ask you a question. Whose house did you build in 2012? Give careful thought to your ways. These people were building the wrong house. For 16 years, they've been building the wrong house. They were, they were saying, oh, we love God, but you know what? We don't have time for him. We don't have time to serve him. We don't have time to do anything. Oh, yeah, we want a temple, but we just need this room addition before because that's really more important. And they had to feel it because there's nothing like the feeling of being in partnership with God, and there's nothing like the feeling of not having the blessing of God. So what had happened is they had come home, but they didn't come home. 
His home is where the temple is. There wasn't a temple. And I need to be clear about this because I don't want you to get confused. This place is not the temple. If this was the temple, I would not let you bring coffee in here. We would not play earth, wind, and fire. I'd get struck by lightning. Come on. This is just a building, all right? As a matter of fact, Stephen in the New Testament says, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, all right? God doesn't need a temple now because Jesus came to become the sacrifice and the veil was ripped, all that stuff. It's not about a temple building, friends. It's about a temple life now. Paul said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's about a temple life. You house the Spirit of God. That's how it's supposed to work now. And a temple life is more than just showing up. A temple life is more than just about giving your tithe. As a matter of fact, tithe, that's just really the beginning. Matter of fact, you could be a great giver and a really lousy temple. Isn't that true? You saw it on the internet this week, didn't you? You see this on the internet getting passed around? I promise you it wasn't me. A pastor went to Applebee's and I guess never had five friends that wanted to eat with them before, so they didn't understand the automatic gratuity that was added for groups of six or more, and they were upset about it, so they crossed out the tip and did not give the tip and said, I give God 10%, why do you get 18 left no tip, and signed their name, Pastor So-and-so. That's what we call in the business, Pastor Fail. Makes my life so wonderful, I can't tell you how much I hate that. Listen, if, if you're going out to eat after this, and you only have $6.29 in your pocket after what you're going to spend on your food, please don't put anything in the offering. Give it to your server. I implore you. Do not leave a Parkview pin and a bad tip, or I will break your arm. <laughs> I will go spider monkey on you, Chip. That's what I'm talking. <laughs> Temple life is about sacrifice. It's about acting like Jesus. It's about having Jesus, remember where we said the temple was? In the middle. In your heart, not just up here, in the middle. Gandhi said, I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. To which I would say, duh, Mahatma, neither do I. A lot of times, you know why? Because those people you're meeting, they have a temple leg, or they have a temple arm, or they have a temple temple, but they don't have a temple life. Jesus is not in the middle. When you have Jesus in the middle, it is the most attractive thing to a non-believer anybody could possibly imagine. And if you want a fantastic example of that, read my blog from this week. It's just timharlow.com. Go on there and read the story about Dan Cathy, the chairman of Chick-fil-A. You know the whole deal with the Chick-fil-A thing, and he took a stand on biblical marriage, and then he was boycotted. Well, he, very quietly, outside of media, contacted the head of the, the gay organization that was boycotting them and befriended him and took him to a football game and started a relationship with him. And this blog is about, it's written by the guy that used to be boycotting Dan Cathy that's not boycotting Chick-fil-A anymore because, he, because Dan Cathy was a temple Christian and treated him with respect. He didn't change his mind on what he thought about marriage. He just treated him with respect, and he befriended him like Jesus, and it's the best example of Jesus I've seen in a really, really long time. Hats off to you, Dan Cathy. Go, 
Go eat some Chick-fil-A after this. Right, make a run on them, okay? A temple life is being grateful for the sacrifice of God's Son in your own life on the cross, and you decide to sacrifice your life for other people. Two things on the Internet. There was the pastor fail, and, and this person is apologizing. God, I'm, not, I'm not pointing judgment. I, I do dumb stuff all the time. If all my dumb stuff was on the Internet, I'd be in trouble too, Okay? But contrast that pastor fail with this church in Ohio that has a ministry in, a, in, in the downtown area of, uh, of Toledo, I think it is. And, um, and, and look at this giving statement. Somebody took offering envelopes and they realized they couldn't mail it to him because his address is homeless, Ohio. You know what that is right there? That's a widow's mite in demonstration. That's, what, that's a temple life. I don't know that person's story. I don't know anything about them. But that's a temple life. That's a, that's a person who says, you know what, I don't even have a place to live. But I want to give a sacrifice to God. I owe a, a lot to the people who helped me raise my kids. Um, you know, I mean, teachers, people that did things for them. They owe a lot to the people that helped them growing up. I dug through the archives and pulled out a couple. There's a picture of Becca, second one from the left, and that's Don Cahay, Lonnie's wife. And that's a bunch of kids that, you know, grew up around here, and now they're all in college. And there's another one. There's Miss Angie and uh, a bunch of our kids, a bunch of our college kids, my middle daughter in there. And those other kids are all out of college now. Some of them are married and you know, moving on in their life. You know what? When, when I look back at those pictures, it made me smile, but it made me realize that I had a lot of other people that were speaking into my kids' life when they were little, and my kids ought to be really, really grateful for the people who took care of them. And they better be taking care of somebody else's kids now. You know what I'm saying? And they are. Becca just got back from a, a trip to South Africa, and, uh, and here's a picture of the Harlow family. Last time we went to Africa together, and we had to do VBS for second graders, and we didn't know it until we got there, so we were just making stuff up. It was a great, wonderful time. But my family are troopsers. You know, we did it. They're supposed to be paying back, and each one of them, they're now in different churches in California and St. Louis and Nashville, and every one of them is volunteering. You know why they need to do that? Because they love Jesus and also because they need to pay forward what people have done for them. And I would be pretty upset if they got to this point in their life and they said, you know what, I don't need to do anything. I'm glad everybody helped me, but I, I got my own stuff. I need to build my own house now. I want to say the same thing to you. I want you to pull out this form out of your bulletin. I want you to fill it out. And I want you to throw it in the offering plate when it goes by. And I want you to volunteer. Okay? Let's go back to Paul's illustration of the temple life. One of the most important things about the temple was sacrifice. And sacrifice is about time and talent and treasure. It's about all of it. And that's why rebuilding the temple was so important. But now the temple is within us. Now the temple is within, within us. And now we need you to build a temple life here and to help us serve the people that are getting ready to come to the fifth service. We're getting ready to start a whole new outreach to more people that are going to come and find Jesus. So we need you to jump in. We need more kids workers. We need more people in guest services. We need more people helping out in worship. Do you realize if you look around that there are no staff doing any of that? I mean, the cameras doing the, the sound, even up in the tech booth, there's only one person up there that's a staff person. All the people on stage, every one of them was a volunteer. 
He, even Adam, is a, he's our worship music guy, but he's not supposed to do weekends. He's, he's a volunteer today to fill in for Johnny B who had back surgery. Everyone on the stage except for me is a volunteer. We need you. We need you to be involved and do that. We have so many cool things you could do to volunteer for. I mean, I had a lady come up last night and go, you know, I'm a graphic designer. You guys do any graphics around here? Well, yeah, we could use some. I mean, we can use you in anything. I had a guy come up and offer to you know, do the crane work on our new building. I don't, I don't know that that will work, but, but whatever you've got, whatever gifts and abilities you have, somebody poured into your life, and now you need to pour into somebody else's. Because even though Jesus took the sacrifice and he made the final sacrifice for us, a life, a temple life of sacrifice is still really important. Paul said, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, since he was so good to you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, this is worship. Peter said, you are like living stones being built into the spiritual house. You're supposed to be a part of the house, not like the extra gravel on the side. You're supposed to be a stone, a royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. What I'm saying is that you need to offer something to God and it's you. Now you're the temple. And you need it as much more than we need it. Because you and God need to be in partnership. And I think if Parkview is your church home, God wanted me to be Haggai today, and he wanted you to hear, hey, what happened to my temple? Nice house you live in, but what's going on with my temple? What's going on with my kingdom? Some of you have been hanging around here for a long time. Maybe you came from a bad church scenario or whatever. I don't know what's going on in your life. But it's time. It's time for you to start rebuilding the temple again. It's time for you to get involved in this project on a regular basis. Matter of fact, if you, if you volunteer on a regular basis, like once a month at least, raise your hand. I just want to see volunteers. Okay, now volunteers, I want you to turn and look at the other people who are killing you right now because you're having a ball. Okay, and just be nice. I'm gonna, you know what? We need everybody. I mean, that's a great, that's, that's a lot better than most churches when you see that many hands going up. But we need everybody to be involved. This is, this is about eternity, friends. This is what's really important. This is why this is important. It's about eternity. Some of you are monster volunteers with your kids' sports organizations, you know? You're a, you're a giver and a volunteer to your kids' football team. You know what? I've got to tell you two things. Number one, that is not eternal. And number two, they are not going to play in the NFL. I'm telling you that right now. Unless you adopted Michael Ower, you know, the blindside guy who's playing in the game today, that's kind of a fun story. Unless, that, unless you've done that, your kid is not going to pay you back for this. And this thing is not eternal that you're doing. It's all wonderful. It's a great diversion. Take care of your kids. It's great. But I want to tell you, what we do around here, what we do with the temple stuff, it's eternal. It's about heaven. It's about hell. We didn't start a fifth service because we were sitting around in a staff meeting going, man, what are we going to do with Sunday night? we got nothing going on Sunday night. It's the only night there's nothing going on here. I know, let's start a service. That didn't happen. We're starting a Sunday night service because lost people matter to God. And they ought to matter to you if you're a follower of Jesus. So starting next week, we will have a Sunday night service at 545. And I hope some of you people will come. Listen, it's about eternal. That's what, that's what I'm saying, Okay. And, and, and you know what? I, I, I know some of you are like, a tithe, 10%. I never heard that before. I, I, don't, I don't care. Do something. 
Give 2% if you've not been given anything. Give 5% if you've been doing 2%. Some of you give 10% and it's pretty easy because you've got plenty of surplus. Give more. Sacrifice. Some of you are volunteering once a month and you can volunteer twice a month. Do more because it's about sacrifice, because it's about eternal. That's what we're doing. That's what we want you to do because it's about the eternal. And I know I'm not, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. That was Haggai. It's his problem, not mine. Okay? That was God. But listen, somewhere along the line, if you got distracted and you woke up and it's 16 years later and the temple in your life is just a foundation and you're thinking, yeah, you know what? I wish I could have Groundhog Day and have a do-over and go back and do it again. You can't. But you can start now. Chinese proverb says, when is the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. When is the second best time to plant a tree? It's now. We're going to have communion now. This is the opportunity for us to come and thank Jesus for his sacrifice and offer ourselves back in worship to him. See, the thing about the sacrifice in the Old Testament was they had to keep doing it over and over again, just continually. That's what they had to do. They had to continue to offer a sacrifice. But when Jesus came along, he made the perfect sacrifice that took care of it forever. And our sin was taken care of forever. And not only that, but that's what provided the temple the opportunity to come to be inside of us instead of us having to go to it. I talked about it Christmas Eve. The temple was, the veil was torn in the temple between God and man, and now we had access to him. One of my favorite scriptures, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the temple, by the blood of Jesus, which we're going to represent with this cup, by a new and living way opened us through the curtain that is his body, which is going to represent in the, in, the, in, the, in the bread. And since we have a great priest, Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. That's what we do now. And full assurance that faith brings. I have full assurance the grace of Jesus. I have full assurance that if I would have been the one that would have left that stupid note for the waiter in Applebee's, that God would forgive me, and that if I was the person that had done any of the other things that I talked about in the service today, that God forgives me, and that God is always calling me home, and God always loves me. I have full assurance. But i got to come in sincere faith right now and come before him. Let's do that together as we pray. Jesus, there may be people in here who need you in their life. Maybe they've been gone a while or maybe they've never had you. And as they take communion right now, this needs to be a time where they just say, Jesus, I, I need you to be in my life. I need to, I need to be a temple person. I, I, I need help because I can't make it on my own. I can't earn my way to heaven. I keep messing up. I'm not perfect. Forgive me. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to take up my cross and follow you daily. And for all of us, Lord, that is our prayer. As we, as we understand that the curtain was torn now because your body was broken, as we understand that we can come into the most holy place now because your blood was shed, we are so glad that we're in this part of the story and not that part of the story. But the temple life is still here for us. It's still what you need. It's still what you expect. It's still what we need. It's still what the world needs. Be with us as we commune. And as we think about that, in Jesus' name, amen.